Good morning, church. Good morning. I was thinking this morning, so sometimes we don't have the countdown on the back screen, so you'll see us up here like, how many seconds do we have left? So if you guys, like at 10, if you guys could start going like 10, 9, 8, so that would be really helpful to the whole band, okay? It's not just me. Um, okay, so we have a couple of announcements this morning. Um, if you don't know, this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. And today is like the big day, Pastor Appreciation Day. So if you see Pastor Dan or Pastor, Pastor Moses, give them a kiss. Dom promised them one during service. Okay? <laughs> Pastor Dan's shaking his head no. But what he really means is yes. Okay. Um, so there is a table out in the lobby where if you want to write them a card or do something civilized to say thank you, the opportunity is there. Um, Eunice will be out there um, demanding that table. So take some time, write something sweet to both of them. They work so hard to just be servant leaders here in our church, and it is just so important. So. so today is brunch together as some of you may know, um, but after brunch together today, we have a really cool opportunity. So we've been kind of updating you about the things that are happening at 44 Wakeman. And so today we're at a point in the project where um, the insulation and the sheetrock are gonna go up in a couple of weeks. But before we do that, um, the leadership here at church would just love, and I think Tara, like in her heart of hearts, because she's, they're gonna live there, their family's gonna live there. They would love if anyone who is available um, and feels led to would come and write scripture verses on the studs and the framing, like all the framing in the, in the house. Um, and so today after brunch together, we're gonna have a prayer walk where we pray through each room in the house, um, pray around the house, and then write scripture verses on the two by fours and everything there. And so you, all you need is scripture and Bible verses are not what, and permanent markers <laughs> will be provided. Um, so you don't need a marker, you'll get one there, okay? So after eating, go walk over there. Then for ladies, October 15th, the Fresh Brood Life is hosting um, a little bonfire event where there will be different campfires um, all around and everyone's gonna eat soup. Um, it's called Soup for Your Soul. And so I believe it starts at 4.30 and goes until about 7 p.m. There'll be times to talk and hang out and just um, fellowship with other women. There'll be a devotional time and then we'll have time to sing together also. So it'll be really sweet. Um, it's $5 per person. There is a sign up. Um, I believe they're signed up outside, and then also you can sign up on the app or on the website. Um, and then lastly, on October 23rd at 11.15, there's another Discovering Trinity class. So if you're someone who's newer to Trinity, or even if you've been going here for a while and you haven't taken that like official step to become a member, um, which kind of what that means is it's a commitment to like being part of this church family. Um, if you wanna know more about what Trinity is what our church means, um, what we you know kind of hold as the pillars of our faith, what is the Lord's Supper, those kinds of things. Um, Pastor Dan is gonna be going through all of that on October 23rd at 11.15. Um, lunch will be provided. If you're interested, you can contact Becca, and her email is B-E-C-C-A, Becca, at trinityfairfield.org. <laughs> okay? Okay. That's all my announcements. Woo! Woo-hoo! All right, why don't we stand? We're going to pray together, 
and then we'll sing to Jesus, okay? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our pastors, Lord. Um, I just thank you that this month we get to just pay attention to them and focus on um, how thankful we are that they lead us closer to you. Um, I think of when um, it says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Like, follow me and strive after what I'm striving after. And I think Pastor Dan and Pastor Moses both give us beautiful examples of that. And um, God, just be with us in this time as we sing to you and as we worship you. Um, let it be pleasing, a sweet, a sweet-smelling offering for you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
it is a powerful name and it's the only name that can change anything lord god we just thank you that we are yours we thank you that we get to serve a god who is beautiful and wonderful and powerful we love you jesus amen kids you are dismissed Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. I uh, need to say something on the front end of this. Uh, we are working on our spiritual exercise of fellowship this morning, and so feel free to scoot closer to the person next to you if you are cold. Uh, 
We are actually, uh, we, we kind of put our name in a while ago to make sure our, our heat was turned on and that we switched over from AC to heat. Uh, our, our, our operational staff have worked hard to do that. It is beyond their control because of the way the scheduling worked out. And so uh, we, we are scheduled to have the heat turned back on for the, the winter, but uh, it's just not yet. So scoot closer. It's okay. We love one another. We're going to talk about this today, but, but we're like a family here. So right? Cause, and family matters not just because it matters to God, but it also matters because it helps keep us warm and we, we like sitting next to our family. Ironically enough, we are going to talk about family this morning. Family matters. Now, for those of you who grew up in the 90s, 80s and 90s, uh, I'm not talking about that show with the, the Winslow family and their neighbor Urkel and all that. I, I'm talking about the, ma- the fact that family matters. It certainly matters to you, I'm sure, but it also matters to God. And, and, and your family matters to God, not just because he loves you, because he is love, and that's all true. God loves you, and so he, he wants to love your family because he cares about you and he cares about your family. But, but let's think a little bit bigger here. Let, let's think a little bit broader than just your family. See, your family matters to God because God wants your family to be part of his heavenly family. There is a a much larger, greater family that God is putting together, pulling together, uh, uniting through Christ, and that's his heavenly family. When Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, he told them of God's plan from, from the very beginning, before creation, to build a heavenly family that all those who believe in Jesus Christ would be a part of. Right in Ephesians chapter 1, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I want us to hear this this morning, that in love, God's purpose for his creation was for our inclusion in the family of God. This is not to be missed, because I think sometimes when we think about Christianity, we think of it as a religion, as a a, a uh, rules-based religion of do's and don'ts, and we lose the, the bigger picture of what God is doing, specifically bringing together a heavenly family formed in his love out of his desire for us. And see, what makes Paul's words here in Ephesians even more interesting to me is that when he wrote this letter, he wrote it so that it would be circulated around a number of churches, not just the church in Ephesus. And so what that should mean to us is that this letter is not just something specific for the people in Ephesus. This letter, that promise, that, that design that, God, that Paul speaks of, of God's desire to, to build this heavenly family, is our story as well. That, that it wasn't just important to the people that lived in Ephesus at that time. It's important for us today too. That this is God's plan. That he wants to adopt us as his children in his heavenly family. 
This is what John was talking about in the, the beginning of his gospel when he said that all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice he doesn't say, for all those who believed in Jesus, he forgave them of their sins. Although that's true, his point was that in believing in Jesus, we have the right to become children of God, to be a part of this family, born not of the flesh nor of the will of man, not, not, not of the will of our moms and our dads, but of God. So your family matters because family matters to God, right? Now, I want to take a moment, which I don't normally do, and I admit that, but uh, to to speak to some of us in this crowd, which uh, both here in the room and online, who may not yet know or feel assured that they are a part of the family of God. Now, what I want you to know and hear this morning is that there is no prerequisite to you being a part of the family of God, just a willingness to accept God's invitation to adopt you. He's not disgusted by what's hidden in the darkness of your heart. He he wants to adopt you into his family. He wants you to be a a son or a daughter of his. He wants you to have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, not just here in this room. He wants you to be a part of what he is doing both now and for eternity. And you know what the honest truth is? You don't have to believe me for that to be true. That's true. It's a black and white concrete truth that God loves you and wants to adopt you into his family. See, God is love. And this love emanates from from his character, like like the smell of garlic emanating from a dish being cooked in a kitchen, right? It it just, it gets everywhere. And it doesn't just smell in the room, it gets in your clothes. It, 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 It comes out of your pores. It's everywhere, right? God is love. What God is asking you to believe then, what God is asking you to put your faith in is that he will adopt you through Jesus Christ who died to pay a debt that we cannot pay. A a, a debt for the sin and the darkness hidden in our hearts. So the guilt that, that you feel inside, you need to believe it's been dealt with. Right? Like, I know that this is something easy to say but hard to believe. That I'm loved. That, that, that God objectively loves me in spite of myself. But that's the truth. And, and what we need to believe is that the, the, the guilt that, we've, that we wrestle with, the, the darkness or the things that we're ashamed of in our heart, they've been dealt with through Jesus Christ. And so if you believe that, then believe also that Jesus welcomes you into the family of God. Now, again, I, I believe there are some of us here in this room or listening online who this is news for. For some of us, Christianity is just a list of rules that, that condemn our hearts, that, that make us feel like we're not good enough, that make us feel like we're left out, we're not included in that holy group of people over there, right? But that's not the gospel message. That may be the message that we're hearing But that's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message that God sent his son Jesus to proclaim and to make known. The true gospel is that God loves you so much and and wants you to be in his family that he sent his son Jesus to make a way, to fulfill all those religious rules that we cannot fulfill and make us feel guilty and bad about ourselves, to make a way that we might be a part of his family. And and so to believe in Jesus is to believe that God accepts you into his family, not because of your ability to show yourself worthy of living up to the family name, but because 
he accepts Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. Not because of you, not because of me, but because of what Jesus has done. And this is important to me because this morning we're going to be talking about what it means to live and breathe and walk in the family of God, a place that I hope we all not just get a chance to experience, but we dive deeply into what it means to live in the family of God. And so I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're sitting there wondering, man, I, I'm not sure if I'm in the family of God, or I'm not, I, I haven't been ready, but I want to invite you. I, I'm going to take a moment to pray before we get into our text this morning. And as I do, I invite you to just pray, pray along with me in the quietness of your heart, because all this is is believing your heart and confessing with your lips that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the only way to, to, to be included in the family of God, to, to see the, the wrongs of this world turned right again, to, to see the things that I'm ashamed of and, and struggling with, dealt with. You're never going to be able to do it on your own. But in the family of God, you have a Father who loves you, who leans into your life, who wants to work in you and strengthen you and grow you. And, and so I want to I make sure it's clear to you that you are invited to be a part of the family of God. So let's take a moment and pray. And, and if that's you, pray with me in the quietness of your heart that, that you too can, can have the assurance of knowing that you are a part of the family of God. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, we open our hearts and minds to you, saying that, that, that we know, maybe we have a glimpse of, of, of the guilt or the shame or, or, or the weight that we carry in our soul. Lord, it may not be that we have this understanding that, that we have sinned against a holy God, but we, we feel the, the weight of the errors of our ways. Lord, for those of us who have yet to experience what it means to be a child of God. Lord, hear the desire of their heart that they might set aside, surrender any, anything else that they can do or say to, 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 to make them seem better than they are, but they simply receive that we can believe in the name of Jesus and have the right to become children of God. So, Lord, for those who are here in this room who desire that, Lord, hear their faith, hear their trust, that you, Jesus, are their Lord. You, Jesus, are their Savior. And because Jesus is their Savior, they can receive the promise of God to be your child, to be in the family of God. And so, Father, we pray that you would welcome these children into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, if you did, if this was you, whether in the room or online, reach out. Tell, tell me. Tell one of our elders. Speak to someone. Share it. If you know someone in the congregation, you came with someone, share it with them. Because being a part of the family of God is an important moment to celebrate. And to explore what does it mean to live as part of the family. We'll talk about that this morning. But as God's children then, both for those who, who, who just experienced entering into the family of God and all of us, 
we need to hear the Apostle John's word to us. In 1 John chapter 3, he says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. In other words, our maturity, our, our completion, our wholeness has not yet come to be because Christ has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, what John's talking about is our growth and our maturity, that we are being shaped and formed in the image of Christ, that we are becoming pure like Jesus is pure. And what this does is says something about our character, not just our outward behavior, but a reflection of who we are in our inner being reflected in our outer lives. So what I want you to understand is that your adoption in the family of God is a maturity issue, and it's a leadership issue. See, as a child grows up in the family, so we grow up in the family of God as God's children. And and we grow up not as these self-indulgent children who are just constantly asking for more from our Father, saying, God, give me more, give me more, but as leaders, We are children who grow up in such a way that we are influencing the lives of others as well. So church, we've said this before, but let's say it again. It's not about you. God has a bigger plan going on that he wants to accomplish with you and through you. But as children, and as we are growing up in the family of God, as we are being purified as he himself is pure, we're growing as leaders. There is a responsibility that God has put upon our lives. And and, and as we look to our Heavenly Father to care for us and grow us as his children, we grow up in in the likeness of his Son in such a way that we are the the exact image of the Father, that Jesus, as Scripture tells us, is the exact image of the Father. We're growing up in his likeness, in his character, in his form and image. So our growth as spiritual leaders begins and ends with our understanding of our place in the family of God. God wants your maturity, your holiness, your purity, your perfection, not because he just wants to put together a bunch of people that look whole and complete, but because you're part of his family. And as your heavenly father, he loves you so much that he will not let you just grow stagnant and stale and just kind of tread water and survive this world. He desires to see you grow as a leader in the family of God. And so this morning's sermon is a family matter. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first eight verses of of the passage for us. 1 Timothy chapter 5, this is a letter that Paul has written. He's writing to uh, someone that he has been pouring into, Timothy. And Timothy's a leader in the church in Ephesus, and he's dealing with some leadership issues. And this is one of the things that that Paul leans into Timothy's life and and shares with him about. He says in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. It says, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, as you may remember, the leadership situation in the church in Ephesus is not so great, right? Uh, there's, there's a number of things going on that, that kind of contradict this idea of what leadership is. Now, one definition of leadership that I read said that leadership is a process of social influence, which maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. In other words, it's the, the influence of one person on another to help them accomplish a goal, to achieve growth or success or, 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 or the outcome that they desire to, to achieve. It's, it's the influence of one person on another. See, leaders in the church in Ephesus were using their God-given influence poorly. And not only was it hurting individuals, it was hurting the church as a whole. In the first chapter of his letter, Paul reminds Timothy of these supposedly more mature leaders, as self-acclaimed more mature leaders, that had gone astray. He says that Alexander and Hymenaeus have abandoned a good conscience and shipwrecked their faith. Right? These are men who were supposedly mature leaders in the church, that, that the church was to look up to and look to for leadership. Well, they had abandoned their good conscience, their, their, their desire for goodness as God had desired them, and they'd, they'd shipwrecked their faith. Right? We're told later on that Jimenez was one of the leaders who was actually teaching false things about the faith. In other words, he, I think he was leading disciples away, saying, hey guys, the resurrection, Jesus' return ha- has already happened. So, so come follow me, I'll show you what you need to do. Right? This is, this is the, the, a self-focused leader who's teaching these false truths, these truths that are not true, and leading people away, not for their good, but for his own edification, for his own self-glorification, Right? Last week, we talked about leaders in the church who, who were preying on people of weaker minds, those, those who weren't aware, those who hadn't yet been educated in the truths of the church, just so they would have followers that followed themselves rather than Jesus. There were those kinds of leaders in the church as well. Paul, at one point, encourages Timothy because there were condescending leaders who were looking down on him and other young leaders in the church merely because of how old they were, almost as if their youthfulness was a bad thing when it came to leadership. Church, we need to understand what Paul's saying here. It's it's an unhealthy and an unfruitful thing for us to think that the younger generation has nothing to offer us because they're young and inexperienced and they don't know what they're talking about. See, the church was ripe with conflict. It was dysfunctional, filled with disrespect, and it was disordered. But see, the, the church's leadership problem is not a problem we can deal with like we might with a corporation or a, or a business. You know, there you might think that if there's issues going on in the corporation or, or in the business, well, you know what, you just, you just 
turn over the, the leadership that's at the top, right? Where, where all the power and the authority is, is consolidated at the, the top with the board and the CEO or the president, whatever. Get rid of them and bring in some new leaders and, and, and let them lead the organization in a new direction. But the church isn't a business, right? The church is not a business and, and, and it's not organized like one. The church is a family, the church is made up not of CEOs and presidents and, 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 and boards that oversee everything and, and, and make all the decisions and have all the power and the authority. The church is a family. It's organized as a family. It's this interdependent community of followers of Jesus who mutually need and depend on one another. There's a mutuality in the family of God that we need to be aware of, and not just be aware of, but to embrace and to live into. See, if there's a, a problem with leadership, you can't just take the, the, a, a leader at the top and, and get rid of him and, and bring in someone different and expect everything's going to get better. Why? Because the church is made up of spiritual leaders with a responsibility to be an influence to one another. Right? Getting, I mean... Don't, especially not on Pastor Appreciation Day, getting rid of the pastor is, is not going to make things better in the congregation, right? You can quote me on that. <laughs> because the problem is it, it's, it's infused within the whole family of God, including the pastor, mind you, right? When we need to grow as a church, we all need to grow as leaders. We all need to learn to depend on one another, to, to influence one another, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us, as, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church is not just the family of God, it's a priesthood. And, and, and priests serve God and serve people. And so it's not just the pastor or the elders who are the priests. This New Testament church, the church that Jesus established, is a church made up of priests, where we are called to influence one another for the gospel. See, the, the church is more than an organization of people. And it's more than just the family of God. It's a, it's a priesthood of people. We're responsible to one another as, as part of the, the spiritual house of God. And so as children of God and as spiritual leaders, we have a responsibility to influence one another for good. And what I mean by good, by the way, is to influence one another to draw near to Christ, to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ, to embrace the, 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 the values of his heavenly kingdom, and to live into that. So we need to expect that the way we change a leadership culture will be unlike the tools we might use in a business or a corporation. Right, like in a business, you might think that the most important advice you could get in changing a leadership culture in a business or a corporation is to, to capture a new vision and, and, and better goals and, and be more values focused, right? 
But the value, the wisdom that Paul gives us and gives to Timothy is not any of these things. It's relational. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, Paul says this. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Now keep in mind, Paul is speaking to Timothy, a young man, a young leader in the church. But if Paul was speaking to you, it would be a similar, uh, a, a, a same message from the vantage point of your life, right? Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. See, central to Paul's understanding of leadership within the body of Christ is the family. Earlier in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul makes it clear how we are to treat one another in the church. He says, Timothy, he says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how, you ought to, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Church, how we treat one another matters, right? We've talked about grumbling and gossip and, and complaining. We've, we've talked about, uh, about not going to one another when we have an issue. We've, we've talked about all these things at various times, but they all serve the purpose, not, not even just about loving the person across from you, but, our, but about realizing we're a part of something much bigger and when we don't treat one another well, not only do we hurt one another in the body of Christ, we hurt the witness of God in this world. See, we hold a, a sacred treasure in the church, and it's the gospel of God. But what happens when conflict and confusion and chaos take over in the household of God? Well, things that matter don't get the attention they need. And the house begins to crumble and fall into disrepair. Why? Because we've stopped listening to God. We've become more concerned with our own wants and needs and our own, our own preferences and perspectives. You see, Paul's plan for resolving conflict doesn't involve exercising more authority over one another. It involves healthier relationships where we learn to treat one another as one treats family members. And I know we don't all have the same experience of, of what it means to be a part of a family. But that, doesn't, that tells me, not that you don't know how to treat a family, family member. It tells me you know how not to treat a family member, if anything, if you've had a bad experience. I mean, loving one another, caring for one another, treating one another well. See, the, the, the reality is that no matter how much wisdom and knowledge you or I have, doesn't really matter. No, no matter how much wisdom or knowledge you and I can share with others, we don't have the opportunity to unless we have influence in the lives of others. Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager, says that the key to successful leadership is influence, not authority. I, I think for many of us, our hearts long for authority. We, we, we feel more secure when we have power over the person across the table from us. We, we feel safer 
maybe, when we feel like we have some control and power. If not over the person across from the table of, of us, at least when we feel like we've got power and control still within our grasp. But, but that's not what God is encouraging us to consider. That, that healthier leadership, healthier community, healthier uh, membership in the family of God is not about authority, but about influence. If, if Paul could addend that statement, that definition, I think he, he would say this. I think he would say the key to successful leadership is Christ-like influence and not authority, right? Influencing one another with the character of Christ, not selfishness and pride or, or, or fear and, and, and control, but with humility, graciousness, forgiveness, love, the, the, all the, the, the aspects of the character of Christ. See, whether you are a man or a woman, old or young, we all have an opportunity to influence others by relating to them in godliness, in the character of Christ. It, 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 Paul says, if it's an older gentleman in the faith, influence him gently. Treat him as you would your father. Don't, he says, don't rebuke him. The, the language there actually means don't, don't verbally assault him or condescend toward him, but lead him by respecting the years he spent living life. He's not perfect, but respect the fact that he is experienced in this world. Treat him as you would your father. If it's a younger man in the faith, don't be condescending or look down on him, right? Don't, don't, don't think you, you necessarily, don't assume you know better than him. Influence him by treating him as a brother. Give him some, some equality in the family of God. Many young men struggle with pride and are easily discouraged, right? Not just many young men, many men. We struggle with pride and can be easily discouraged. I think that's why Paul tells, uh, teaches wives to respect their husbands. Not because their husbands are necessarily respect worthy, but when you, can, when you treat them with respect, they can grow and flourish because their hearts long for that, right? Showing a young man his value and treating him as an equal is using your influence to empower him right? It, it, you're not using your influence to control him, but you empower him when you treat him, a younger man, as an equal. If you have the opportunity to influence and lead an older woman, treat her as a loving child with their mother. Honor her. Value her. Respect her. Desire her well-being. Don't write her off as being an old woman who's, who, who needs to go out to pasture. Value her as a treasure. If you have the opportunity to influence a, a younger woman, treat her like a sister. I love that Paul says that. Men, protect her. Honor her. Guard her purity. And guard her reputation. Ladies, the instruction is the same for you, but it, but it takes on a different form because you have an influence in her life unlike a young man would or unlike a man would in, in a young woman's life. In many ways, you'll have the chance to, to speak into her life and to have influence in, in ways that far exceed the ability of a young man. But here's the thing. In none of these places, Paul is inviting us to withdraw from one another and remain silent. Right, it, Paul is not saying, hey, step back, give him space, don't say anything, walk away. In fact, 
Paul's saying just the opposite. He's, saying, he's encouraging us to exercise our influence, to love, to care for, to respect, to treat him as an equal. He, he's saying, draw in. Use your influence in their lives to, to, to influence them with the character of Christ and the heart of God. Just to be clear, in our influence, Paul is also not inviting us to go around bossing others around or, or speaking arrogantly to them or self-righteously to them or condescending toward them. That's not using our influence for good. That's not treating them as the character of Christ would anticipate or would expect you to treat them. But it's also not loving to remain idle and withhold our loving influence in the lives of others. See, the leadership issue in the Ephesian church is a culture where people's egos and arrogance led the way. But Paul says how we speak to one another, how we treat one another, it matters. Treat one another like family, and you will lead them well. See, we, this idea of leadership in the church and the family of God is something that we all have a responsibility in. The leadership of the church is not consolidated at the very top where the pastor and the elders all know better and are without error. The leadership in the church is something we all have an opportunity to do as we think about those we have influence, those in whose lives we have an influence. Not influence over, but influence in their lives, right? It also means we need to open our hearts and minds to letting others be an influence in us. Paul speaks of one other member within the household, and that is widows. In verse, verses 3 to 6, he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. See, when, when Paul tells us to honor widows, he's talking about something more than just respect, giving them respect or, or, or whatnot, right? He's talking about leading widows with the godly character of Christ. See, honoring widows is intimately connected to the fifth of the Ten Commandments, to honor your mother and your father. I mean, look at the, the reasons he encourages children and grandchildren to step up and to care for their own loved ones who have been widowed. It exhibits godliness, right? It, it, it's the fruit of their, their, their parents or their grandparents investing in them and in, in their, their love and investment in the children and the grandchildren in the family. And it pleases God. He says it, 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 it pleases God. See, when we love when we lovingly lead widows by providing for them and caring for them, we're showing the world the very character of God. We're exhibiting what pleases God. We're exhibiting godliness. We're, we're, we're showing this design that God has for the family where, where it's not just about parents and grandparents caring for the younger generation, but as parents and grandparents grow and, and get older, that the younger generation reciprocates that love and care. 
When we graduate and go off into the world, we don't go, all done with my parents and grandparents. We recognize the value of what they've invested in us. They didn't just pay for our education or pay for our lives, but they invested their character in us. They gave us an eternal treasure in sharing with us their faith. And so as, as widows come to that place in their lives, it's an opportunity for us to, to reciprocate that love and respect. And the world sees God's great design in the household of God. See, when, when we lovingly lead widows by providing for them and caring for them, we're being a city on a hill that can't be hidden. The values of God's kingdom are being put on full display for all the world to see. Not only, though, does it put God's character on display, but by its nature, it contradicts the selfish values of this world that put career and self ahead of the, the widowed and the destitute. But, but pay close attention to this, because Paul doesn't say that we should treat widows like they should be pitied. No. The idea of honoring widows and helping to meet their needs is meant to empower them to continue in their, their, their ministry, the important work of ministry in the family of God. It, it empowers them to continue in the spiritual leadership that they've been called to in this season of their life. Remember what Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, that a true widow is one who is, who is left alone, but also one who has set her hope, her faith on God, and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. In other words, a widow's influence is seen in their hope and their dependence on the Lord and in their ministry of prayer on behalf of the body of Christ. Their faith is on display for others to see. In his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul tells believers to imitate him as he imitates Christ. You know, that's what a, that's what a, a, a true widow within the family of God does. They they imitate Christ, and they invite others to imitate them as they imitate Christ, as they walk through this season of life that no one desires to, to walk into or, or, or to, to, to find themselves walking in, on this path. They're an example in the faith. See, a widow within the family of God will always have a ministry in which they invite others to imitate them as they imitate Christ. But the church will also always have an opportunity to lead widows by caring for them, providing for their needs, and empowering them and enabling them to serve the body of Christ. So church, look around this room. God wants us to treat one another like family, not arrogantly or condescending, not assuming the worst about someone or their motives, not, not selfishly. We're not called to rebuke one another. Remember, it's God's word that rebukes us. We're called to love one another, to encourage one another. Your influence in the body of Christ is found in you looking around this room and seeing a sister or a brother, a mother or a father. But do more than just see them. Fellowship with them. And by that I mean, don't, don't just share a cup of coffee with them. Get to know them. And maybe invite their influence in your life. Or maybe, maybe you can exercise influence in their lives. 
the very best leadership we can give one another is when we treat one another like we are part of a healthy family. As, as we close our time in the passage together, I want us to consider Paul's warning that he gives Timothy in verses 7 and 8. Paul tells Timothy, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Church, these are not suggestions for us this morning. They are commands for how we are to live and lead in the family of God. And if we are failing, if we are failing at taking seriously this command to treat one another well, we are failing at living out our faith from the very center of our core. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, an adopted child of God, then we have to take what Paul has said here to Timothy seriously. We're part of a body of people called the church that reflects the glory of God to this world. And so if we take Jesus seriously, then we take his teaching seriously. And if we take his teaching seriously, then we take our role and our relationship in the church seriously. You, you may think that your attendance when we gather each week for worship isn't vital. You'd be wrong. You may think that, that the church is a place where you can come in, sing a few songs, listen to the pastor talk about the Bible for a little bit, and then leave without interacting with others. You'd be wrong. The church isn't a style. It's not a building. It's a gathering of people. People following Jesus. And, and if we aren't influencing one another, if we don't hold influence in one another's lives, serving one another and loving one another well and, and loving others in the character of Christ, then you know what? What does Paul say? We're living no differently than an unbeliever. Our lives don't look any different than those who don't have a faith in Jesus Christ. So let me be clear here for a minute. Paul isn't condemning or calling uh, for our exile from the church. He's not saying your, your faith is fake and it's not true. What he is saying is that when we don't take these words seriously, we look no different from someone who isn't a child of God. He's saying that our outward lives betray what we claim to believe in our inward being. He's saying that we're no better than society as a whole. And, and, and here's why that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy because we should look and sound and act differently. Not because we're better than the rest of the world, but when we embody the character of Christ, when, when we live out the very, from the very core of our being the character of Christ and the values of his kingdom, we reflect the glory of God and the good news that he sent Jesus to proclaim. That's what the church is meant to be. We're meant to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. We're meant to, to, to shine forth the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ, his character. So do you get it? It's not about us. It's not about me looking like a good boy or a good pastor. It's about God being witnessed in this world. We're called to be different in this world. Different from, from this world, but different like Christ is different. 
So when you don't show up or if you don't interact in fellowship with other children of God, the church suffers. Our, our city on a hill shines a little less brightly. So the church needs you. The church needs your influence. Why? Well, the world needs your influence. If you're not influencing others in the family of God, then the family of God is not able to influence the world as much as it should. So let's make something clear together this morning. We're going to set an expectation for our church family, for, for Trinity Baptist Church. This is, going to be, this is going to be our expectation within this local body of believers here at Trinity. Here at Trinity, we will treat one another as family. You can open your Bible and explore many ways that the Word of God invites us to treat one another with the character of Christ. That means I'm going to look around this room and I'm going to see mothers that I can, I can walk up to and treat like my mother because I love her, care for her, want her best. I'm going to look around this room and I'm going to see brothers. It's not Pastor Dan and then other men in the church. It's, it's Pastor Dan learning to empower other men by treating them as equals and valuing them, right? It's an opportunity for us to treat one another as family, not, not yours and my family, family members in the family of God. So that's our expectation, church, right? I mean, that's kind of like an aside and an addendum to the, to the time in Paul's word, but if we're going to take Paul's word seriously here, then let's be committed to this. Let's set the expectation. When you interact with other people in the church body, you're going to treat them as a family member. Because that's what we are. We're a part of God's family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I ask for your grace in helping us to treat one another as family. Admittedly so, we've not all had the best examples of what it means to have a, a loving father or a loving mother or to, to have the best example of how to love our fathers or our mothers or how to, how to love our brother or our sister. But Lord, that's not, that's not an excuse for us to not treat one another within the household of God as family. Lord, empower us to, to lead one another well, to, to have influence in one another's lives, and to invite others to have influence in our lives. Help us to, to know what it means to treat one another as family. Lord, we desire to be that city on a hill. I, I want us we want to not be focused on ourselves, but to be focused on, on you, God, and what you are doing in building up your kingdom here on this earth. Use your church, use Trinity to be a city on a hill. And may it start with us, Lord. May it begin in us as we look around this room and we learn to, to be brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I love what Pastor Dan just prayed because I think it's really easy to hear all of that and to say, okay, I just have to try harder, right? Like I have to do better. I have to, you know, really be aware of how I'm looking at people and thinking of people. Um, but ultimately, like it's God who empowers us to do that, you know? And so when we say, God, please just help us to love each other well, like it's his love, right? It's not even our own love. It's his love that comes pouring out of us. And so as we close our service, we're going to sing All I Am. And um, the chorus says, I give you all my life. I'm letting it go. A living sacrifice, no longer my own. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. And the chorus, um, the bridge says, I lift my hands up. God, I surrender all that I am for your glory, your honor, your fame, right? His reputation in the world. I lift my hands up. God, I surrender to you. So let's stand and sing that together.
Church, our worship will continue as we fellowship together down the hall for our brunch together. It's a chance for you to get to know people, to spend time uh, a little bit more beyond our time here in the, in the sanctuary worshiping together. So please join us. We would love to, to fellowship with you down there. I do want to close uh, and ask the Lord's blessing on that meal, but before I do, I also want to pray, since it's Pastor Appreciation Day, we want to pray for Pastor Dave and Barb, who, is, who have faithfully served here for many, many years, and just give thanks for them as well. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship you, to be together as a family of God here this morning, and, and, and to, to be challenged by your word, hopefully, Lord, to grow and to, to consider what it means to be a, a child of God. Lord, we thank you for the meal that's before us, that, that it's not just food for our bodies, but food for our souls. We fellowship together as part of the family of God. May you bless that time and use it for your glory and for your kingdom. And Lord, we give you thanks for Pastor Dave and Barb. We pray you are with them. We pray that you would strengthen them, that, you would, uh, that, that, that they would feel your love and your touch today, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Things are getting real, Jesus take the wheel, only way I'm getting to the other side. Days are getting dark, life's a little hard, blinded but I'm trying not to lose sight. I don't got this, I know you got this, Things are getting real, Jesus take the wheel, only way I'm getting to the other side. Days are getting dark, life's a little hard, blinded but I'm trying not to lose sight. I don't got this, I know you 